Hi, I'm David Freudberg, host of Humankind. I've always been fascinated by the human voice, which experts say is as unique to each person as their fingerprint. In these podcasts, we celebrate the human voice in all its wonderfully diverse forms, young and old, different accents and cultural contexts. Writers sometimes struggle to find their own voice, but you can kind of tell when someone is speaking from a place of authenticity and integrity. That's when I most love listening to voices. Thank you for listening. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston and Documentary Educational Resources. This special project is supported by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation and by the Humankind Program Fund. You're listening to Libraries Reimagined, a Humankind special. I'm David Freudberg. every child who is living above poverty, on average, they have access to 30 or more books in the home, age-appropriate books in the home. So if you're, you know, a three-year-old, 30 or more age-appropriate books for that three-year-old are in the home. If you're living at or below poverty, it's one book for every 300 children. And this inequality, says Brian Bannon, director of the New York City Public Library, can set a child at a lasting disadvantage. Research indicates that exposing young children to books, like reading stories to them before bedtime, can vastly improve their readiness for learning and academic success. I started very young with my children. Days old was reading them baby board books and looking at pictures together. And it, in doing that, it develops the habit I think it teaches an appreciation for books and reading. Kelly Linehan, the mother of two young daughters, is director of the Waltham, Massachusetts Public Library outside Boston. Studies show that even prioritizing reading in your own life and demonstrating that to your children also has not the exact same impact, but certainly a direct um, correlation to how important your child considers reading and learning in their future as well. I mean, for the child to be observing that you are reading books for your own benefit? Correct. And that they'll sort of want to mirror and copy as their parents do as well. So carving out that time and talking about the importance of books or a story that you're enjoying, for sure. I remember being read to from a very young age. Physician Perry Class practices pediatrics at Bellevue Hospital in New York City. She's a national leader in early literacy. Both my parents were readers and loved to read. Um, My father, in particular, went on reading to us long past the preschool years. My father was still reading aloud to us when I was in sixth and seventh grade, and he read children's books, but he also read a lot of non-children's books. There are all kinds of works of literature that I first encountered being read in my father's voice, and he, he did the accents. People in all cultures love storytelling. It's one of our most human fascinations. Stories fire our imagination, take us on a journey, help us explore our human conflicts. And something very significant happens in the special encounter when a caring adult reads to a young child. Reading aloud is first and foremost about quality time, bringing parents and children together, helping them to have positive, happy moments. 
Dr. Alan Mendelson is Associate Professor of Pediatrics at New York University Langone Health. What the research has shown is it also brings in language. It brings the opportunity to talk together. It brings the opportunity to have back and forth conversations about um, the things that both parents and children are in interested in. Uh, what's going on in the world? What are those uh, many things out there, those buildings, those cars, those trucks? Um, what, you know, what, what is it that makes me happy? Um, what, what is it that makes me sad? And um, it's, it's a place, a safe place, where parents and children can engage around you know, what they really care about. Do you read aloud to your child? Yes, every day, yeah. This is Manuela, who works as an acupuncturist but finds time to bring her young son frequently to the Waltham Library. We read several books a day. He always gets books before nap and before bedtime. Um, and does he ask for them? Oh yeah, he loves books. He asks for more. We have a two book limit before nap and bedtime and he often wants more and more, so I have to promise him that the next day we'll read more. But you have to enforce that limit. We do, because he loves them so much. <laughs> they feel loved. They feel a connection with their caregiver who's reading with them. Shauna Rabido is the children's librarian. When you're reading to a child, they're usually sitting on your lap or sitting very close to you. There's no TV, no extra noises. It's usually just like a special, quiet moment. And you're both focused on the same thing and enjoying the same thing. When the story is funny, you're laughing together. Or maybe they find something funny and start to laugh, and you're laughing with them. So the whole experience is very special, one-on-one -on -one time. And um, I think that that adds to that experience and to that future love of reading. Rapid brain development in the first five years of life offers a unique opportunity for human growth and language proficiency provides children with essential skills for thought. As compared with speech a child overhears, language spoken directly to children can greatly enhance their capacity to interpret words and understand ideas. Kelly Linehan. It's because they're hearing all these words, you're constantly talking to them and engaging with them. Something that you know we try to do during our story times, and, and even at home reading with my own child is going through the books and, and reading the text on the page and then following up with a comment like, you know, that bear does look angry. Why do you think he's so angry? Or like, can you see the duck on this page? How many feathers does that duck have? Stop, yelled the lion. I am a very hungry lion and my tummy is grumbling. Uh-oh. Hey, who's that? Her pet. Is it a doggy? No, it's a goat. Yeah. Or is it a goat? I think it's a goat. You think it's a goat? <laughs> then the three of them gobbled up a whole basket of donuts together. The lion had... How many did the lion have? Can you count? Five. You didn't even have to count my fingers. That was very good. Five donuts for the lion. It doesn't even matter Soon what book you're reading, right? Reading the same book over and over again. It just helps their mind expand in so many ways. And I'm always surprised at how the kids make these connections from the books to the play area, to their friendships and asking follow-up questions. 
it's amazing how much they really do absorb. What is great about the asking of questions, whether it's by the parent or the child, it, it supports active learning. Pediatrician Alan Mendelson. Here we are reading a book together and looking at that picture of a ball or the picture of a dog or the picture of a car. And when I, as a child, am asked that question, wow, I really need to think about that. I may or may not have the words yet, and yet nonetheless, um, parts of my brain are lighting up. Those nerve cells are firing. And those nerve cells are saying, yeah, this is something I have to think about. Maybe there's a word I'm going to use. Maybe I have it. Maybe I don't. And active learning is what happens throughout our lives. If I'm, you know, passively sitting at a seminar, I definitely learn things. I, I love to passively sit at a seminar. It's one of my favorite things to do. Um, but, but I will learn the best if I then engage in um, back and forth uh, questions with the person who's leading the seminar during it or even after. Are you conscious of trying to find different words and expose these kids to a variety of vocabulary? Oh yes, we definitely are. Nancy Ray of the Library Children's Department. Even within the nursery rhymes you'll find unusual words like Little Miss Muffet sat on her tuffet. Those are words that are unfamiliar in our regular vocabulary. What is a tuffet? <laughs> There's a lot of debate about that, but my interpretation is it's, it's like kind stool. of a hassock of sorts. A little stool, yes. Okay, I just... Yeah, and it might have been a naturally occurring thing that looked like a stool, and they called it a tuffet. Who knows? There's a lot of debate about this. A child's acquisition of language is one of the great wonders of human life. The apparently meaningless sounds babbled by infants and toddlers are how they begin practicing rhythm, volume, and tone in speech. And associating the spoken word with the printed word represents a remarkable leap in the functioning of our brain. We didn't evolve for reading. We evolved for spoken language. Our brains evolved for spoken language. There's never been a human community that didn't have spoken language. But there have been plenty without written languages. Physician and author Perry Class. Written language is something we invented. We kind of jerry-built it. So we use all the visual pathways in our brain because you have to see the letters and pattern recognition. We use memory of various kinds in order to connect with the letters. We use phonological awareness, connecting um, the letters on the page to the sounds so that B makes ba and phonemic awareness so that BA makes ba. But we also use vocabulary and we use syntax. And it takes such a lot to get from the marks on the page to meaning that for children to get there, their brains have to basically have been nurtured and have developed properly along multiple trajectories. So it's kind of a remarkable thing that we can do it. I mean, it's, it's visual processing, but it's also cognition. It's memory. It's vocabulary. It's a lot of things all working together. And do all of those events enhance the development of a child's brain? Of course, they absolutely do. But we know that kind of the more you use your brain, the better your brain gets. So 
reading is a, a tremendous exercise for all of those different parts of the brain. But the flip side of this is that children raised with a language deficit may be disadvantaged. It's sometimes called the word gap. They're being read to less and seeing fewer books in the home and hearing a narrower vocabulary spoken around them. Pediatrician Alan Mendelson. To the extent that children have limited exposures to uh, high-quality high uh, language and to the extent that children um, you know, are exposed to uh, highly stressful in environments um, in and outside of their homes, um, that that puts those uh, children um, at risk for not being ready to start school. We call this school readiness, a sort of the jargony term, um, in which they may not know their letters when they start kindergarten. They may not begin to be able to identify uh, words. Um, they may not have the, the patience, the capacity to um, attend and regulate their behavior and learn when they start school. And this can lead to a um, cascade um, of challenges for those children. So the field of early literacy has adopted popular programs like A Thousand Books Before Kindergarten, which asks parents to develop a regular practice of reading aloud to their children. Librarian Lisa O'Coin. It just encourages reading. It, it can be any book, even though the group has a list of suggested books to help the parents. But if a parent, um, as is often the case, if a child has a favorite book that they want to read five times a day, that counts five times towards the thousand. And at each hundred books, the kids get a sticker that says, basically, yay, I read another hundred books. And then at a thousand, there's a bunch of prizes to celebrate their exposure to a number of books. So have you encountered families that attain this level oh, of a thousand yes, books? many. It's not hard to do. If you only read one book a day, which of course is not going to just happen, but if you only read one book a day, you'd achieve that goal in three and a half years. And you're saying that most families will read more? Oh yes, definitely. So some families, if they're dedicated and they're reporting, would probably achieve it in a year. But I think a lot of families don't get all their books recorded down on their um, sheets of smiley faces. We're exploring the profound benefits of early literacy. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. For more information on this segment, part of our project Libraries Reimagined, to obtain audio downloads or CDs, please visit humanmedia.org. As we've heard, learning to read at a young age can greatly enhance a child's prospects in academic achievement and beyond. And reading aloud to children, even before they're literate, can promote powerful bonding between parent and child. But there's another important benefit, librarian Richard Ashby near Pittsburgh. The only way to get equity in education is through reading, is through ex exposing our young children to different words. And that's very interesting because once you 
start putting the books and the resources into children's hands before kindergarten, that gives them a great chance at the starting line. Starting line being um, used to be first grade. Now the starting line starts way before first grade. Experts in early child development point to the importance of both quantity and quality of words. Young children benefit from hearing lots of different words. Language-rich interactions help to expand their vocabulary. And by age three or four, exposure to narratives, like descriptions of past or future events, or being read vivid stories, helps kids to understand their world. Those young brains are developing very quickly, and children soak up new ideas. I remember as a child, my mother read us a story every night. Do you remember the little golden books? Those were a must. You know, the Aesop fairy tales, Brother Remus, all of those stories, all of those stories, all those different words, words that brought books to life. Which helps to close the word gap for children being raised with limited language opportunities, but also to introduce children to the new worlds available through literature. Once you start exposing children to different books about different people, about different um, countries, different cultures, once they get to school and they start meeting different people, they don't seem so strange to them. Because why? Because they have been read to about those cultures, about those people. But if you, you take a child and you just don't expose him to different cultures through books and through reading, when they get to school, when they get in public, they're lost. That's why diverse books are so important in libraries. You know, you just can't, you can't like a black child, you just cannot show a black child a book without seeing themselves in the book, without seeing themselves as doctors, lawyers, engineers. You have to show our children themselves in books and in literature for them to succeed, not only um, give them a lot of vocabulary words. A plethora of vocabulary words are, is wonderful, but do they see themselves in those words? That's the key. I come here because they have a lot of bilingual programs, and I um, speak. we only speak Spanish at home with my son, so I really love coming to Waltham because they have more bilingual offerings than in other libraries. So that's why I make the trip out here. Where do you go? Oh, there he is. Um, he's absorbing uh, English on his own, and we have a lot of friends that also speak Spanish, so he's able to socialize in Spanish with other children. And um, I immigrated to the U.S. when I was about 21 years ago, and my sister was five. Where, where did you emigrate from? From Venezuela. Um, and when we immigrated, my sister was five years old and only spoke Spanish, and she was put in a you know, kindergarten, and after a few months she was completely fluent in English after only knowing Spanish for five years. So I have no worries with my son that he'll absorb it all in no time. Easy for them. Yeah. <laughs> We have many patrons that have moved here from other countries that they didn't have access to, to books. They didn't have access to a library. They, many, even school was a difficult thing. So they certainly didn't have books in their homes. Waltham, Massachusetts children's librarian, Shauna Rabido. It's a wonderful feeling to know that you're able to give books to people that may never have had that access. I mean, I remember 
even just about a month ago, helping um, a young boy who was translating for his cousin. And his he was eight, and he was translating. His cousin spoke only Spanish. And he was like, you can have a book. And his cousin was like, what? What do you mean? You can take this book home. It's free. You can take it home, and then you bring it back. And to see his cousin's face just light up and, and to have that book in his hands and know that he could bring it home and not have to pay anything and just be able to have it at his house, it, it's, it was incredible. Other experts weighing in about the advantages of early literacy, economists who focus on the problems of inequality and social mobility. They recognize the huge leg up that children gain from learning to read at a young age. If you were to look at literacy rates in our incarcerated adults, the literacy rate is not much better than third grade in most cases. Arthur Rolnick at the University of Minnesota served as senior vice president at the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis. And some cr criminologists will tell you, uh, when we look at third grade literacy or lack of literacy, it's a pretty good predictor of how many prisons we're going to need in 10, 15 years from now. When a person is functionally illiterate, they face a host of problems from health risks to low income to high stress to being socially intimidated all associated with difficulty reading and understanding the written word. Imagine a child is, who is well behind literacy standards by the third grade. On average, they don't catch up, so they stay far behind. Many of them don't graduate high school. What do you do in this economy when you don't graduate high school? If this is a problem over the last 50 years, imagine the next 50 years when human capital, education, train, job training is so critical to succeed in our economy. And so it shouldn't surprise us that literacy is a key element long-term in the success of the child and the success of our community. So that's one way literacy plays in. But I would also argue it's closely correlated with what we call cognitive IQ, which is, you could say, literacy, and emotional IQ. If a child comes into kindergarten and they're having trouble just relaxing, sitting down, interacting with their peers, their executive function is missing or is, is well behind, it's going to be hard for them to catch up on, uh, on the literacy. And, and the, so, so words matter, but you've got to go deeper than that. We've got to make sure we treat the whole child and make that, that child is emotionally ready for school as well as cognitively ready for school. Then they're more likely to be literate by the third grade, more likely to graduate high school and be literate, more likely to succeed in life. Which brings us back to the mystery of how we actually develop the skills to understand and to speak and to read words. Physician Perry Class. A bunch of things are going on with young children as they're learning, as they're sort of growing up in what some people have called the language soup around them. There's all kinds of different learning going on. There's um, really interesting mathematical, algebraic learning in which they're figuring out the grammar of the language that they're hearing by processing all of the different kinds of sentence structures coming across the, their, their radar. Um, I mean, nobody completely understands how they do it, but they do it. And these mechanics can make a difference not just in children's mastery of language, 
but also in how that skill level impacts other areas of their lives. In some ways, it's easier to imagine how the child might hear a particular word, and you might say over and over to the child, um, this is your nose, this is your nose, and then eventually you might start hearing it. But how does the child figure out pronouns, and how does the child figure out verbs? This is sort of going on with exposure, going on with those amazing child brains, picking out frequencies and word relations. And so much of this depends on the processing speed. There have been some really interesting studies looking at socioeconomic disparities, and there are famous socioeconomic disparities in vocabulary size. In some studies that were done at Stanford, there were actually interesting socioeconomic disparities in processing speed as young as, young as um, children who were 18 months and younger. You take a baby, a one-year-old or a 15-month-old, and I'm going to hold up something which the baby knows. I'm going to, we've, we've agreed that the baby knows what is a car. Right, if I put the baby in front of pictures and I say, where's the car, where's the car, the baby will look at the picture of the car. The baby knows what a car is. Um, and we can track this because we have these um, amazing, they have, they, the researchers have these amazing little helmets which can follow the baby's gaze. So the question is, I've got, you've got your baby on your lap and I hold up this known object, I hold up two things and I say, where's the car? Where's the car? And then what we're measuring in the processing speed is how quickly the baby looks at the car. So we're measuring the speed with which the word car goes in through the child's ears, goes to the child brain, and the child recognizes it and says, oh, yes, car, over there. And, it turn and so we're, this is happening in nanoseconds, but we can see that the children growing up in more affluent families are faster. And why is that? We think it's because they're hearing more language. Same thing, more stimulation, more practice, more back and forth. But the problem with it is that if every word is taking you a few more nanoseconds to process, then you're losing the words that come right after, right? Here you are. Uh, it, it, it's a, a little bit of a clue to why some of these disparities may get wider and wider because the kids with the faster processing are hearing the next word much more, more are hearing it sooner and able to start processing it, and the kids who are processing more slowly are at a sort of spiraling disadvantage. So does that support the idea of expose young children to as broad a vocabulary as possible? What it really supports the, is the idea of talk to them, interact with them, and make sure it's not all disciplinary. Does it have to be wildly um, diverse vocabulary? I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm in favor of, you know, the more exposure, the more talking, the more story reading, the more singing, the better. Dr. Perry Class is professor of journalism and pediatrics at New York University. She also serves as national medical director of Reach Out and Read, a network of pediatricians who give books to parents of young children to encourage reading and storytelling as a daily activity. The executive producer is David Freudberg. Please subscribe to our free weekly podcast. The title is Humankind on Public Radio. You can find it at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, NPR One, and all major podcast services, as well as through our website. Again, the podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. 
And if you'd like to support our program, please visit humankindpodcast.org. And at the top, click on How You Can Help. Thank you.